You know that feeling you get when your podcast is trapped on a feed that costs way too much money and has little to no functionality? I do. That's why Chinstroker vs. Punter, the film podcast out of Birmingham, England, is moving. You can now find all new episodes at www.csvsp.libson.com. So, update your feed, subscribe, and continue to enjoy the vitriol. Have you ever seen a vampire? No. Well, first of all, they're not romantic, alright? It's not like they're a bunch of fucking fags hopping around in rented formal wear and seducing everybody in sight with cheesy Euro trash accents, alright? Forget whatever you've seen in the movies. They don't turn into bats. Crosses don't work. Garlic? Want to try garlic? You stand there with garlic around your neck. One of these buggers will bend you fucking over and take a walk up your strata chocolata while he's sucking the blood out of your neck, alright? We all feel better. In conclusion, if you find yourself falling asleep, having a dream child in the middle of a nightmare, while you're trying to wake up when you're being chased by a guy with razors on his fingers, and you don't know it's a new nightmare, and then you got Jason, he's got an axe, got Kelly Rowland, she's not saying, nightmare baby, nightmare baby, nightmare baby. Nightmare, baby. Flow. H-Y. Once upon a time on a Super Bowl night, two guys from BK brought the points to life. Gave you some previews and some laughs. Was it no big thing? No one thought it would last. Then one started growling at the mention of a chick. The other guy would lose it every time he got pissed. Next thing you know, they got a good fan base. So they said, what the hell, let's continue the pace. No stone uncovered, they will take on a topic. Might bring on a guest, and together they rock it. Cause they're in like Flint, two mice is a cool. If you don't know the beautiful one, they'll take you to school. I'm talking about Tom, DJ, and Derek Ferguson. The best podcast out, hands down, it's set. So in the tub, in the car, if you're chilling in the park. Welcome to another show of better in the dark. But don't you feel such shows contribute to a social climate of violence and sexual malaise? And do you care? Care? I care enough, in fact, to give my viewers uh, a harmless outlet for their their fantasies and their frustrations. And as far as I'm concerned, that's a socially positive act. What about it, Nikki? Is it socially positive? Well, I think we live in overstimulated times. We crave stimulation for its own sake. We gorge ourselves on it. We always want more, whether it's tactile, emotional, or sexual. And I think that's bad. Then why did you wear that dress? And until we get back in touch with you... Go watch that movie! Right, Dobbin? Go watch that movie! Do you realize how long it's been since we have inducted an actor into the Great Great Men Hall? Matter of fact, it's been a while since we did this at all. We haven't done it since we inducted the first Great Great Woman. Yeah. And how long ago was that? Let me take a look. That was, I think... We're going somewhere with this, folks. Don't worry. Trust us. Stand by. (laughs) Don't be lazy. You can look it up, too. You should know by now. That was, of course, the Great Great Catherine Bigelow. Because now we are going to, of course, our official website, betterinthedarksite.com, where you can find out all the great apocrypha about the Better in the Dark mythology. Ooh, somebody's been reading again. Apocrypha. Apocrypha. <laughs> Holy cow. Whoa. Man. Whoa. Slow down there, Poindexter. <laughs> 
that would probably be the last batch of episodes. Yeah, that was in the last batch of episodes. Let's see. And before that, it was mm-hmm. Dennis Quaid. Right. That we had... Dennis Quaid, the first one, even before it was called... Even before we gave it an official delegate. Yeah. Uh, an official Here we go. Episode one twenty three was the last time we did a great, great man hall induction, which was to Catherine Bigelow. And this is episode. This will be episode one twenty seven because we're putting this out about a week or so before the birthday of this great, great man. Yeah. Who, just like with the first great, great man episode, mm-hmm. which was also an actor, we wanted to time in accordance with his birthday. Yeah. So that when his birthday rolls around, if you are so inclined, and we sincerely hope so after you listen to this, that you are inclined, if you have not seen some of these movies that we're going to be Mm -hmm. talking about, that you go ahead and look it up. Well, you should know it by now, just by reading the little blurb that comes along with this, but we, of course, are talking about Mm -hmm. that great, great man, James Woods. James Woods. One of Tom's favorite actors, certainly (laughs) one of mine, and I'm pretty sure that he's the favorite of a lot of you listening to this. And I'm willing to bet he's as much of a son of a bitch in real life as he is on the screen. I think James Woods would be a lot of fun to Did hang he? out with it, uh, under any circumstance. Did he once? What was it? There was an actress that he was going out with and she broke it off and he sent a twisted doll or something. Wasn't that Sean? No, no, that was Sean Young. That was You're Sean right. Young. That was Sean that Young. That was Sean Young. It was a whole big That's right. She sent, a, she sent a doll to his daughter yeah. in a little coffin. Yeah. Because they were making a movie called The Boost. Yes. Which was about cocaine addicts. Right. They played these very successful yuppie types that got hooked on coke. Can we safely say that Sean Young was probably drawing from a real life experience? Sean Young is a weird chick. We gotta do something about her one day. <laughs> the funny thing about Sean Young, she's gorgeous and yeah. she can act. If you guys don't know who we're talking about, probably her most successful and famous role is as the replicant Rachel right. in Blade Runner. Blade Runner. That's who we're talking about. But she did that weird thing where she went on all the talk shows lobbying for the role of oh, Catwoman. Oh, dressed as Catwoman. Dressed yes. as Catwoman. She would show up on Regis and Kathy Lee. Mm-hmm. and She went around to a whole bunch of different shows dressed yeah. as Catwoman, lobbying for the role, which she did get. She was signed to be Catwoman, but then she unfortunately broke her arm or leg in a yeah. riding accident. And You're getting your, your stories mixed up. Probably. Sean Young was the original Vicki Vale. All she right. had been cast as Vicki Vale, mm-hmm. and you're right. They had a scene with a... You'll notice there's no horse riding scene in the version of Batman eventually we saw. But there was originally a horse riding scene with her and Bruce riding a horse, and Sean Young fell off, broke her arm, and became unable to continue with the film. Okay. The ambassador stepped in at the last minute, probably after a discussion with Whoopi Goldberg. Yeah. Just take it, dear! Doesn't matter if it wasn't written for you. Yeah. She stepped in and she did yeah. an admirable job. So much yeah. so that to this day, probably two roles that if anybody says what Kim Basinger is most noted for is mm-hmm. L.A. Confidential and the original Batman. But in this movie, Sean Young and James Woods, they're these successful, rich, yuppie types and they get hooked on coke. Which, of course, right. this was the 80s. Mm-hmm. And everybody was hooked on coke in the 80s. Mm-hmm. It, it was a drug of choice. But during the course of that movie, depending on who you listen to and whose story you believe, they either did or didn't have a relationship yeah. and they were or were not in love. Well, <laughs> to quote you, my friend, there are always three sides to every story. His side, her side, and what really happened. And what really happened. What really happened, the world may never know. <laughs> but we do still have the remarkable movies and the career of James Woods to entertain. And, and I'm not hesitant in saying he's probably one of the toughest son of a bitches in movie history. Okay, here's the reason why I like James Woods. Mm-hmm. James Woods is what I like to call old time tough. 
I'm talking about the actors that we had when me and you were growing up, guys like Ernest Borgnine and Lee Marvin. Mm -hmm. I don't know, I could go on and on. Clint Walker and Clint Eastwood. These are guys who look as tough as the characters they're playing. And James Woods is most definitely in that. James Woods looked like he would eat your liver without a problem. When he gets into those psychotic rages in his movies, it's actually scary yeah. because you do honestly believe he's tapping into something that's real. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He's just a little bit shy of being uncomfortable when he projects. But at the same time, he's a very charming and likable guy when he wants to And be. I think that's one of the, the reasons why he's been capable of, at different points in his career, being a leading man. An actual honest-to-God leading man and also being an honest-to-God credible villain. Yeah, and sometimes in the same movie he yeah. straddles, well, straddles that line. We're right now looking at Cop. Yeah, I have which Cop is, up. I know it's one of my favorite performances of oh, his. Oh, absolutely. Which was based on a James Elroy book back before James Elroy became James, James Elroy. Elroy. In fact, I think he wrote it under a pseudonym, if I remember correctly. Uh, the the name of the book was Blood on the Moon, which was part of a series containing this character. Mm-hmm. He is the hero, but he is legitimately freaky. Yeah. Cop is one of the movies that I would put down as absolutely essential James mm-hmm. Woods. If you go going to get the essence because it's his movie from start right. to finish and yeah it kind of sets the tone when you see he tells his daughter she asked oh, him, I, that's, I love that scene she asked him daddy yeah. I, I want to hear a bedtime story bedtime story he tells her stories about his actual cases yeah. with murderers and rapists and serial killers and his wife comes in so what the hell are you doing why are you telling her and this very telling that's the last time we see the wife in the entire film yes because of course he plays a cop who is right. very driven and his job really is everything and you wonder why this guy got married in the first place right. because it's so obvious that he cares about nothing except his job. One of the things I really love about this movie that I love about all mm-hmm. 80s movies is that, see, cops now, cops, they're all DNA and right. they're all computers and they're all this. But back then... Well, but, this is like what you and I were talking about last night where mm-hmm. we were talking about nowadays the average American viewer is so used to having their hand held and walked through through the investigation. Because there's been a lot of complaints from some American viewers that the BBC series Sherlock is too hard for them to follow because they feel left out of the investigation. Right. But the thing about Sherlock is it's a normal mystery structure. Mm -hmm. What used to be when you and I were kids, the normal TV detective show structure. But nowadays, things are all about, oh, look, we're going to do this. Well, look at one of our favorite shows that we've cited many times before, the Ellery Queen mysteries with Jim Hutton, where before the last commercial break, Ellery Queen would turn to you, the audience, and say, listen, you've got all the clues. You know everything I know. Can you put it together before we come back from the commercial break? And you were sitting there trying, okay, okay, okay. Me, I was a kid. I would sit there with a pencil and a piece of Mm -hmm. paper, and I was like, Okay, well, he did this, trying to figure it out. Right. But in Cop, they have this wonderful scene where James Woods, he takes all of the files on his case and all of the pictures, and we see him, and he stays up all night long putting up the pictures and reading the files and going through the evidence and piecing it together. And that's a wonderful scene where you actually see him thinking and actually using deductive reasoning and his knowledge of human behavior to solve this crime. He's not just pressing a button. Well, I got to wait for the DNA to come back. Let me use my black, white, white wand to see if there are any fingerprints. Yeah. As much as I like Hawaii Five-0, and I still watch it, the revived version. Which has been renewed for another season. Good for it. I've been having some frustration this season because they made Masioka, who had a recurring role in the first season as the county coroner. He's a regular on the show now, so it's yeah. like every episode we have to spend time with Max mm-hmm. as Max explains some new way of finding evidence. Yeah, yeah. And I think it slows down what you and I responded to in that first season, which is just four cops 
doing cop stuff the old cop way. Kicking down the doors, you taking know. names, intimidating witnesses. It's too easy now. I'm waiting for the day when they have a cop show that's five minutes long and it goes yeah. like this. Hello, Mr. Smith. Did you do it? Please come with us. No, wait a minute. <laughs> all, all they say is, please come with us. Yeah. Well, what for? Just please come with us. You know what you did. We know what you did. Just come with us. Well, why should I? Three words. DNA. Right. There's a pause and the guy says, I'll get my coat. Right. <laughs> and, and that's it. Yeah. <laughs> because that's where we're going. But we don't get that in Cop. The other thing I like about Cop is that the character that he's playing is unapologetic about what a sleazebag he is. Yeah. At one point, they're trying to bust some guy who's in a car with the hooker. Mm-hmm. And because the guy shoots on Brian Dennehy, so James Woods shoots the guy dead, like pumps yeah, like five yeah, bullets yeah, in. Yeah, him. shoots him dead. Yeah. And then Max on his lady. Absolutely. <laughs> he gets a phone number. Yeah. He says, well, here, come he over. He drives her home. He drives her home. And yeah, he's he's implied, just, yeah. bangs her all night long. He takes her to his car. But see, I like that. And people say, oh, well... Oh, I don't like that character. That character is unlikable. I can respect an unlikable character Uh when that character has the guts and honesty. And it may sound funny to talk about honesty when you're talking about a character like this. But he knows what he is and he doesn't make any apologies for it. He actually makes that work for him in a somewhat positive way in society. Some of the best Woods performances are where he's unapologetic. Like True Believer. Or Videodrome. Yeah, where he knows what he is. Yeah. Video, there's an idea. Max knows he's a pornographer. Yeah. In fact, there's that scene where he's previewing something that is being offered for his cable television station. Mm-hmm. And he goes, they're not interested in this. Right. Soft-focused things of geishas watching Samurai. Yeah, so, yeah. They and don't. he's like, nobody wants this shit. Mm-hmm. They want so- He's looking for the hardcore stuff. This is a character that would be delighting in what we're watching mm, today. Yeah. Because even if you you watch Videodrome today, and a lot of it is extraordinarily relevant mm-hmm. to what is going on in the media today. It hasn't gotten quite that bad yeah. yet, but you can see where it's going. In the modern day, Max's television station would probably have Eli Roth on a retainer. Yeah. One of the things, and I watched Videodrome not too long ago when we were talking about right. James Woods. And one of the things that's in the movie is that everywhere you go there are TV sets Mm -hmm. yeah and even now when you go to get gas you know what's on the gas pumps a camera no TVs oh TVs showing you news and commercials and stuff like that you walk into stores what's in there you go into restaurants you're supposed to go into a restaurant to sit and talk and and have conversation the funny thing is now is that they've become static for me when I go into a Wendy's and they have that stupid closed circuit network Mm mm-hmm I don't even listen. It's white noise. It's now. white noise, yeah. But it's become so pervasive. Because I'm saying, well, wait a minute. If you come into a restaurant, and when me and Patricia go out to eat, I deliberately want to get a table where I can't see the mm-hmm. TV. Right. I have a TV at home. That's where I watch TV at. Now, sports bars, of course, that's something yeah, different. Exactly. But do we really need TVs everywhere that we go? And Videodrome, that's what it was telling us yeah. that this is where society is going. And this is the type of person who is going to be making sure that you watch TV all right, the time. Exactly. Because, of course, <laughs> You know why this is? Ever since DVR and before that VHS, they're going to get you to look at their commercials no matter what. Right. Which means TVs in the restaurants and TVs in the bars and TVs on the back of your seats and buses and wherever they can put a TV. And also, when you have 500 cable satellite stations, Mm -hmm. what do you need? You need content. I don't know if our listeners are familiar with it, but I'm sure you are. Remember that thing that got really big back during the 80s when VHS came out, Faces of Death? 
Well, <coughs> we're going to record something later uh-huh. where we're going to be referencing a certain movie that you and I discussed last night. Oh, yeah. Where okay. Faces of Death comes up. Yeah. So, <laughs> he says mysteriously. Uh, yeah, but this was stuff that you couldn't even go to the movie theater to mm. see that. Because remember the movie Snuff? Yeah. The infamous Snuff? And that was quickly... Made in, in South America where mm-hmm. life was cheap. Cheap. And for those of you who don't know, back in the mm-hmm. late 70s, early 80s, I don't exactly remember when, there was this movie called Snuff. Right. And the major attraction of this movie was that you actually saw a woman get raped and killed on right. camera like in the last 15, 20 minutes. Now, there are a lot of you out there, and I am not judging your moral character, that are right now saying, well, so what? You say that because you can turn on your TV right now and see right. that. You can go to HBO or Showtime and see that. But back in the 70s, believe me, this was a national scandal mm-hmm. that people were actually going to see this movie out of sheer curiosity, of course. I yeah. think later on, it was, well, it was all the same thing with you know, Faces all- of Death, is right. that after a while, once people started calming the F down, if you watch Snuff now, I can tell you this, the blood is a little too orange. It, it was proved later on yeah. that, no, this was a hoax. And it was you know, a hoax. Was, yeah. Same thing with Faces of Death. Granted, there was found footage. Right, some of it was actual, was found, actual footage found footage of ambulance going to thing and people were filming stuff yeah. and bomb squad. Because I remember one memorable one where it's a guy from a police bomb squad and he's talking while he's doing it. He said, well, you yeah. don't want to touch this wire. You want to touch this wire. He touches that wire yeah. and he blows up. Yeah. But yeah, but some of it was fake. A lot of the animal attacks were fake. Yeah. But the thing is, is that people don't believe that anymore. Should we tell people a little bit about the life of James Woods before we go any further? Oh, absolutely. Now that we've got the social right. commentary <laughs> with. <laughs> James Howard Wood, born April 18th, 1947, in Vernal, Utah, even though he lived the bulk of his growing up years in Warwick, Rhode Island. Oh, really? Which explains a lot of why he's been on Family Guy Family Guy, Guy so, much. so much. He's almost become a regular well, yeah. on Family Guy. Yeah. Matter of fact, I believe the, one of the characters in there goes to James Woods High School. Yeah. His father, Gail Peyton Woods, was an Army intelligence officer who died in 1960. His mother, Martha, later on married Thomas E. Dixon, and they grew up in Warwick, Rhode Island, as I mentioned. Mm-hmm. He went to MIT University, where he majored in political science, although... Oddly enough, he was originally wanted to be an eye surgeon. Really? He was active as a member of the student theater group Drama Shop and claims that it was Ben Affleck's father, Tim Affleck, who inspired him to change his life and become an actor. He began his career in theater, making his debut in 1970 in the first production of Frank McMahon's Borstal Boy. In the late 70s, he started doing television. He was on an episode of The Rock for Files. He was on an episode of Welcome Back, Cotter. Doing some small roles in films such as Hickey and Boggs and The Way We Were. That he started really finding his way. From there, he took some roles in TV movies. Most significantly, The Choir Boys, if you remember that. The TV miniseries Holocaust. Okay. And then came The Onion Field, 1970. Ah. That was the film that put him on the map. It got him an Academy Award nomination. Based on uh, Joseph Wambaugh. Yes. That was just like The Choir Boys mm-hmm. was. Even though The Choir Boys, that was a movie that was very early on in his career, but you could even then see some of the flashes of the intensity yeah. that he would bring to a role later on. That pretty much opened the doors for him, because after that, he's almost entirely doing theatrical pictures. Wasn't Ted Danson in that movie with him? I think so. I think it was Ted Danson, yeah. Because Ted Danson went from there to Cheers, I believe. There's a transformation Mm. for you. From there we get 
we already talked about Videodrome, Against All Odds. Mm, yeah. Once Upon a Time in America. Oh, that's kind yeah. of intersecting with one of our other great, great men. Cat's Eye, which we're going to talk about. Oh, yeah. Salvador, one of the earlier Oliver Stone movies. And one of the few that you can tolerate. Yes. Bestseller. A great Larry Cohn scripted movie. The Boost, which we just talked about, True Believer. The Hard Way. Ah, Michael J. Fox. Yes. The infamous Straight Talk is one in a series of one romantic comedies with Dolly Mm. Parton. Diggstown. He played Roy Cohn in Citizen Cohn. Yeah. The Getaway. Okay. The remake. Not yeah, the remake. Yeah. Once again, another mm-hmm. kind of crossing. Casino, Nixon, another Oliver Stone film, playing H.R. Halderman. Well, who wasn't in Nixon? <laughs> um, playing the voice of Hades in Hercules. In Hercules, yeah. I love that. Um, yeah. Another one of my favorite roles of his, John Carpenter's Vampires. Vampires, yeah. Any Given Sunday. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The true crime, I've told you before, true crime is kind of like an okay film, but there are scenes where it's James Woods, Dennis Leary, and Clint Eastwood in the same room. In the same, same room, room yelling I at mean, each other. I mean, come on. Heaven. Can you imagine yeah. if they did the hard way with James Woods <laughs> and Dennis Leary? Oh, God. Oh, my God. Talk about a match made in heaven. I just had a flash. Probably an alternate universe where there's a Green Lantern film made around this time. With Dennis Leary as Guy Gardner. As Guy Gardner, yeah. James Woods as Sinestro. Yeah. I've said this for years. They should do a Green Lantern movie with Guy Gardner and Dennis Leary. The first time I said, come on. Has a great supporter of Rudy Giuliani. Yeah. We still like you anyway, James. One of his proudest moments was portraying his friend. Yeah, right. In Rudy the Rudy Giuliani story. He's also got like a secondary life now as a voice actor for both cartoons and video games. He's used his voice in Grand Theft Auto really? games. Yeah. Oh, okay. I did and not know that. But I did know about a family guy. He's become almost like a supporting character. And then there was, of course, the two years that he decided to try the TV waters. Ah, sure. Back when CBS decided they wanted a, a house only without house, and they created Shark. The biggest problem with Shark was, of course, they didn't want him to be the unrepented asshole that they hired him to be. You don't hire James Woods and then don't let him be James Woods. Right. That doesn't make any sense. But then again, Shark shouldn't have been on CBS. Yeah. If it had been on something like HBO or Showtime or, yeah. or FX, I guarantee it would have still been on. Yeah. Because then they could have went where they needed to go to sell that yeah. show. James Woods, putting him on network TV, that's a straitjacket. So he's had a very long career, and he doesn't look like he's stopping anytime soon. That remake of Straw Dogs that came out last year, he played the father of the child in the film, and he's in a film that's coming out, assuming later this year, called Officer Down. Okay. The thing that I absolutely adore about Woods is that he's equally comfortable playing both sides. Right. In that list that we just rolled off, we cited films where he's a bad guy mm-hmm. and films where he's the hero. The fact that he is equally well on both sides and is able to be convincing, being a little bit of both each time, is one of the keys to why he is so much in demand. In demand, so versatile. You know? Oh, I forgot The Specialist, the film where he had to take a dive for Sylvester Stallone. I've never seen that one. Sylvester Stallone's the hero. James Wood's the villain. Mm-hmm. James Wood has to take the dive for Sylvester Stallone. I'm like, no, that would never happen in real life. I'm sorry. That's probably why I never saw it. But this is around the time he made one with Antonio Banderas, yeah. where it was kind of like... Assassins. Assassins, yeah. There was some periods where he was floundering around, didn't know what he yeah. was doing or where he was going. Okay. And let's get Carter. Yep. 
stuff like yeah, okay, that's why I didn't see it. I didn't like that. But that, that whole weird period of Sylvester Stallone's life where he was trying to reassert himself as a serious actor. As a serious actor, yeah. Yes. And it was a little bit too late. Speaking of which, before we go back yeah. into are you looking forward to The Expendables 2 this summer? I will go see it. Okay. What can they do beyond what they did in the first one? Well, it's another we getting the band together again yeah. thing. I hear that Schwarzenegger is coming back. He's got a bigger role yeah. in this one. Apparently both uh, Schwarzenegger and Willis actually have roles. Yeah. And Willis. aren't just extended cameo. Well, Willis is going to be the bad guy. Oh, there you go. In this one, from what I understand. But Schwarzenegger is coming oh, back. Oh, I forgot. One of, one of our favorite of his voice talents. What? When he played Owlman in Justice League Crisis of Two Oh, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. I loved that thing. I think my favorite out of all of them still remains The New Frontier. Mm-hmm. But that comes uh, comes close. I haven't seen Doom yet. Have you seen Doom? No. Okay. I, I haven't heard much about it, so it can't be that good. The thing I find really fascinating about Doom, because Doom is based on Tower of Babel. Tower of Babel, yeah. A very famous serial done by Mark Wade and Brian Hitch, mm-hmm. in which Ra's al Ghul breaks into Batman's computer and finds files on how to on how um, to take down the rest of the Justice Take down the whole Justice League in case one of them goes, Go, rogue, goes rogue, yeah, and uses it against them. Now, this was the Grant Morrison Magnificent Seven Justice League, right? Batman, Superman, Wonder Woman, the Kyle Rayner, Green, Green Lantern, Lantern the Wally West Flash. Martian Manhunter, Aquaman. Aquaman. If you look at the cover, Cyborg. So they've rewritten Doom Mm -hmm. to reflect the DC dick new. Okay, well, who would they take out? Martian Manhunter? I assume so. Probably, yeah. And of course, it's Hal Jordan instead of Hal Rayner. And it's Barry Barry Allen. Barry Allen instead of Wally Wally West. West. Okay. That Superman probably doesn't have shorts. Thank God. Even when I was a kid, I never yeah. liked that. I never liked the superheroes wearing their trunks yeah. on the outside. It never made any sense to me, even when I was a kid. So it didn't bother me Superman doesn't mm-hmm. have trunks. Because I said, well, yeah, he should never have had them in the first place. Or, or Batman. Because I think Batman, mm-hmm. was he went trunkless years yeah. ago. He went in the 90s, shortly after... The Nightfall, Night Rise, yeah. where Bruce Wayne came back and took over the mantle. He introduced a costume that was just black with no trunks on it. Bingo. But that being said, if James Woods was going to play a superhero, who would you like to see him play? James Woods playing a superhero. <laughs> see, among other things, I think he'd make a super kick-ass Lex Luthor. Yeah, oh, yeah, absolutely. At one time, wasn't he tapped in the early stages when they were planning this movie, Rorschach? I'm not sure about that, but I can tell you that Tim Burton had considered him a little bit for Joker. For the Joker, yeah. I always thought that James Woods as the Riddler would be perfect. Yeah, I could see that. Yeah, with no problem. But let's see, has a super... You know, he would make a really interesting Punisher. Hmm. Not now, of course, that he's old and Yeah, but back back in his prime, yeah. I guess the other thing is, is I would rather see him play somebody like Black Mask or Lex Luthor. I think he'd be a, a very sinister, very evil. And the great thing is, he, much like John Shea, my favorite Lex Luthor, he, he'd be able to be very charming. Well, yeah, really, yeah. Which would make you understand something what Lois Lane, unless of course it was the Kate Bosworth Lois Lane, who mm-hmm. was an empty-headed doll uh, baby. Well, the, the least said the, the better on that mm-hmm. score. What are some of your favorite performances? Oh, okay. Well, okay, I've already... Say cop, which yeah. is like the essential one. The boost is very interesting, mm-hmm. but be warned before you see the boost. It's very depressing. It's very downbeat. It's one of these movies. Yeah. You know how they have most movies about drug addiction. Mm-hmm. And at the end, they get clean and there's a big happy ending. No, there is no happy ending. But with James Woods, you kind of expect right. that. That there's not going yeah. to be a happy ending. I could tell you looking at the list. Oh, okay. Once Upon a Time in America. Yes. 
I like that movie because if you notice in the early scenes when they had the kids, right? Okay, the kids. Where did they find a kid that looked like James <laughs> Woods? And was he scarred for life? <laughs> <laughs> the director Sergio Leone went through considerable pains to find kids to match yeah. it so that when we got James Woods and Rob De Niro and, McGovern. and right, they look okay. Mm. Well, I can see them growing up from that into that. Correct me if I'm wrong. Even though they've been in films where they're both together, I think this is the first and only time that James Woods and Robert De Niro have extensive scenes together. Yeah, I believe it is the only movie that they've been... Because, I mean, at he's, least in, he's in Casino, but I don't recall him having extended scenes. I couldn't swear to it. Casino mm-hmm. is one of those movies. Have you ever seen a movie, and yeah, you liked it, but an hour later, you couldn't tell somebody what it was about because it just didn't stick uh, yeah, with you? Yeah, of course. You know what? I think it's because Casino, is, we've posited this theory before about Martin Scorsese, is that every third or fourth movie he makes is a gangster movie, not because his heart is in it, but because he keeps people off his back so he can do whatever he wants for the yeah. next yeah, yeah, and I think that's the one even more so than I mean, why Goodfellas is a great movie in and of itself. It's mm-hmm. a great artifact, the way that it's structured. Whereas Casino is just, I'm um, just yeah, my own time. Yeah, I think that's what it is, and I think it came too soon after Goodfellas because it yeah. seemed like to me I always looked upon it as Goodfellas light. Yeah, and it's just a movie that just does not stay with me. So I, I, I had could... the impression that Scorsese was more interested in the mechanics of the casino than in, in the people inside. Yeah, the right. There's these long scenes where yeah. he's telling you how the security works and how exactly. the money is collected. Yeah, that's the story he was really interested right. in telling, not the one about Rob De Niro slapping Sharon Stone yeah. around and she taking his money. And mm-hmm. yeah, James Woods was the boyfriend. Yeah, right. Yeah, okay, the, yeah, the sleazy boyfriend. Yeah, that she eventually ran off with. Yes, and who plays a sleazy pimp better than? James Woods. Woods, Hello? I need a sleazy pimp. What's James Woods doing these days? Family guy. Get the fuck out of here, babe. Shit. Shit, shit, shit. Get on the phone. Give me Alec Baldwin. (laughs) How creepy are those two Alec Baldwin commercials that he's doing for Capital One now? I don't know. But anyway, yeah, Once Upon a Time in America, James Woods and Rob De Niro play mm-hmm. childhood friends, the Jewish mobsters in right. New York during the 30s. And the movie is a documentation of their career as gangsters. It turns out that Rob De Niro thinks that he's betrayed his friends and he sold them down the river and they've gotten killed. Because right. James Woods, his character, his dream was always to rob the New York, what is it, Treasury? Yeah. The same thing that the guy was trying to rob in, in that Die, Die Hard movie. Three. Yeah. yeah. Die Hard with the... Vengeance. Right. They robbed De Niro was always telling him that's crazy. So he calls up the police to turn him in. James Woods, along with his other two friends, they get killed. So he leaves town and he stays out of New York for all these years until he gets a message mm-hmm. for him to come back indicating that somebody knew where he was all these years. So he goes back to try to figure out who's still alive and who knows about this incident from their past. And it's intercut where we see how they went around about the business of being gangsters and the friendship between James Woods yes. and Rob De Niro. And it's totally and absolutely and completely convincing. You are convinced that these guys love each other. They grew up as friends. They would die for each and other. whatever you do, watch the three-hour version. Oh, yeah. Not that butchered 90-minute version, which is incoherent. Absolutely. Please. Matter of fact, any movie you see, folks... You should watch the complete full version. And I know there's a lot of people that cry, oh, three hours. I can't sit through three hours. Well, you do the miracle of modern technology. You don't have to sit through three hours if you want. You can do that. You can watch one and a half hour one night. 
Say, okay, pause. Come back the next day and finish yeah. it. If you don't have the attention span to sit for three hours and, and watch it. Technically, you can watch this as two separate films. Because there's a real clear division between the early days, the kids growing up and learning about the gangster lifestyle. Right. Has teenagers. Yeah. And then, of course, the modern day stuff. There's even intermission. Yeah, it, there is an intermission. So you can watch that first half, mm-hmm. then we get to the intermission. Right. Okay, call it a night and come back and watch the second half. But it should be seen because, yes, it's got our great, great man, James Woods. Yes. It's got another great, it's great man, Robert De Niro. De Niro. It's directed by a great, great man, Sergio Leone. What more do you need? What else do we have here? Uh, you want to talk about Cat's Eye? Because I know this one. Yeah, oh, I love this. It's a really stupid movie. Let's get that out of the way. This is a dumb movie. But well, let me set it up for you folks. Cat's Eye is based upon Stephen King's stories. And this was set back during the time where everything that Stephen King wrote got turned into yeah. a movie. Some smart producer took the idea. I think it was Dino 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 Yes, yeah. Dino Dino, Another great, great man. Took separate Stephen King stories. Because it was Quitters Incorporated. Quitters Incorporated. The second the one. Ledge. The Ledge. And the third one was an original that he wrote for the screen, which was the the, 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 the Goblin in the Wall. The Goblin in the Wall. Okay. Okay. Of course, you realize, I look at that now. Whenever I watch that particular segment, I can't help but think of the specific scene from Clerks 2. Which one? Where he's talking about the girlfriend and the troll pillow pants. Oh, okay. <laughs> because the troll, if you remember, in, in that film is dressed in that kind of like weird, poofy medieval. Yeah, bar. yeah, I got you. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> you just see now you got that image in my head. <laughs> in Cat's Eye, we start off. There's a cat, right. and he has these visions of this little girl played by Drew Barrymore, right. and she's saying she needs help. You've got to come save me. So what we do is that we follow this cat through the next three stories. Right. As it becomes involved in the various lives of the people that's in the story. And in the last story, he does make it to the girl's yes, house. And saves her. And saves her from, believe it or not, folks, a troll dressed in a justice costume. It's a little three-inch high yeah. troll. That uh, lives by Carlo Rambaldi. Yeah, that lives in the wall. And he comes out at night and yeah. he's stealing the girl's breath. It's a stupid story. But the two before it, are good. The ledge is very good, but Quitters Incorporated oh, is excellent. brilliant. Yeah. It is so thoroughly brilliant. And the thing that that's brilliant about that is, you know, you've read the original version. Yeah. yeah. The original version is very, very serious. Yeah. It was written during that period in Stephen King's life where that's how he was making his living before he hit with Carrie. And it's written in that I want to be taken seriously as a writer kind but of But he was writing a lot of stories for many yeah, magazines exactly. when you could make a living back then doing this. Of course, now you can't. Like, we don't Swank, I think, it. was where yeah. most of his stuff showed up. Right. But that's why people say, well, how did he have so many short stories? Well, back then there was a short yeah. story market. So what he did, though, in this version is he turned it into a comedy. Yeah. And it shows the fact that James Woods could be damn effing funny. Yeah, he is. Yeah, he is. He's very funny when he chooses to be funny. And it's the story of a man who is a chain smoker, played mm-hmm. by James Woods, who is recommended to this new cigarette therapy. Run by Alan King. Run by Alan called King. Called Quitters Incorporated. Where they guarantee you will, you will stop smoking. <laughs> so, of course, James Woods... It turns out that the people behind Quitters Incorporated are former mobsters. Yeah. Discovered this scam and realized... We could do this legitimately. Right, exactly. This is a legitimate business. This isn't anything they're doing as a scam, you know. And and he goes ostentatiously to satisfy his wife. (laughs) And Alan King, the former mobster, explains, if we catch you smoking a cigarette, this is what we're going to do to your wife. They take the cat, throw him in an electrified room. No, he says, first, 
We're going to put you in there. Yeah. Your first time. The second time, your wife goes in there. Third time, your daughter goes in there. Yeah. He said, <laughs> he said there will be no fourth time. Yes. <laughs> Which, of course, he then demonstrates with the catch and the, the tunes of Question the Mysterians, 96 Tears. 90, yeah, 96 Tears. This yeah. is a, just such a whack. That, and, of course, that's not even counting my favorite moment which is in the party, where James Wood, he's trying to be good, really, he's trying to be good, but he's at a party, and he's surrounded by people smoking, and the song, it's a cover version of Every Breath You Take, mm. because apparently, they couldn't get the rights in time for the film to be released. Okay. For the vocals, but they got the rights to the song. So, he's hallucinating, everybody has cigarettes, they're smoking, they're smoking, and he hallucinates Alan King, dressed as Elvis, comes down his staircase, and he slip syncs yeah. the song, yeah. It's so weird, but I love But here's where the horror element comes in. He can't take it anymore. He's got to have a smoke. So in the middle of the night, he goes into his garage. He's got all the windows pulled. There's no lights on. He smokes a cigarette. He goes back upstairs to his room, and his phone rings. And they tell him, didn't we tell you what would happen if you were smoking? He said, oh, my God. How did they know? I didn't even enjoy it. Yeah, they put his wife in there. One of the things I think is kind of unnerving is that when she's done, she's mad five seconds, Mm -hmm. but then actually thanks him. You're doing this for me. Yeah. Now, here's also where it gets even scarier. Later on, that's the payoff of the whole thing. Yeah, right. He's done. He's passed through the program. He's sitting down with his friend. And Alan King, and Alan King's noticing, oh, I've noticed you uh, putting on a little pounds. Yeah! We're going to have to put you on a diet. And he meets his friend's wife for the first time, and the wife has like three fingers. Yeah, yeah. That's and that's when he realizes it's never going to end, right. because once he stops smoking, and he says to Alan King, well, I guess we're done now. And yeah. he says, well, no, you know what? We could do something about no, your weight. weight. In yeah. other words, it's a protection racket. Right. It's never going to end, because there's always going to be something else they're going to mm-hmm. find, and you got to exactly. keep paying them. It's done in a serial comedic fashion folks if you watch cat's eye for no other reason than to see quitters incorporated yeah by all means trust me it's worth the rental we've touched upon true believer okay a little bit about mm. one of the things i like is that this is james woods playing a different kind of character for him this burnt out kind of hippie 60s lawyer who is taking on a partner on his and is a very very small firm in robert downey jr Oh, okay. Okay, first off, James Woods and Robert Downey Jr., there's two people who... First of all, if you're hiring Robert Downey Jr., you're in trouble. (laughs) Whatever capacity you've hired him for, you're in trouble. And it's about them trying to investigate a murder case. It's fascinating because it's a dialed-down James Woods, a kind of burnt-out James Woods this time, someone who is not as charming Mm -hmm. because he's jaded, he's seen it all. And I really like that performance. Speaking of Robert Downey Jr., you know what I saw the other night, and what I completely see? forgotten that he was in it? What? Back to School with Rodney Dangerfield. Oh, God, yeah. That was yeah. one of his earliest roles. Yeah. Well, he's playing a college student yeah. in this one, but he looks like a... I mean, he's, 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 if I remember correctly, he's playing a golf college student. Too. Yeah. I said, oh, my God, I completely forgotten he was in it. I remember mm-hmm. Adrian Barbeau was in it. Yeah. What about bestseller? I've never seen bestseller. You've never seen it. bestseller? I've never seen bestseller. Brian Dennehy is a cop. He retires. He writes a book. Okay. Has some success. Man comes in played by James Woods. Mm-hmm. Claims to be a high, high-end assassin and wants him to write a book about him. Write his life story. Right. And he does. He doesn't give the man any 
because he thinks it's kind of like a joke or something. Okay. And so James Woods comes for his royalties. Sounds fair to me. Yeah, and it's a cat and mouse between Brian Dennehy and James Woods. Why didn't you just give him the money? It's been a while since I saw this movie. Oh, okay, okay. I thought maybe you just seen it recently. Yeah, I've seen it a couple of times. So it's a Larry Cohen film, and it's set in and around New York, so there's a lot of really cool... Like, there's one scene in the old Playland where Woods kill somebody in a photo booth. We don't see the killing, but we do see... Because the guy just put in money for the photos, Mm -hmm. and he's taking photos for something, and James Woods kind of comes in at the last minute. So they cut outside the photo booth, Mm -hmm. and you're seeing the murder in little... You know, now that you mentioned, I got a flash of memory. I think I probably have seen this. Yeah. Probably while it was on HBO. It's on HBO a lot in the old days. Yeah. Because when you said that, I said, wait a minute, I've seen that. Yeah, okay. I mm-hmm. probably have seen it. But I'm going to look that up on Netflix when we're done here. Bestseller, right? Yeah. Okay, I'm going to look that up. It's a typical Larry Cohen script. Very kind of twisty and goofy and it's strange. Very New Yorkish. Yeah. Then you've got Digstown. Ah, Digstown is a good one. Is it that, good? That's like a version of this thing where Lou Gossett Jr. plays a former heavyweight boxer, but he's retired or he got ran out. Because I think this is a period piece, if yes, I'm not mistaken. James Woods is, of course, a sleazy boxer. Mm-hmm. promoter and he finds out about this underground boxing match it's like an iron man where you sign up your boxer and he has to beat 10 guys in one day mm-hmm. in order to win the money so he gets Lou Gossett and he ropes him into the scam actually this is right. a movie that I would love to see remade because you figure with the mixed martial arts we yeah. have today this would be perfect to be I don't know who you would get to do it well James Wood probably still could play his same role yeah but, well this but, is directed you know get somebody like I don't know Jet Li or somebody mm-hmm. like that and you could do it but yeah that was good that was good. I like that a lot. Right. It's kind of like a comedy. James Wood has that in common with Christopher Walken, is that they have that extraordinary mm-hmm. ability to be hilariously funny, but yet incredibly menacing. And Although, there's not a lot of actors that can do that. Thankfully, he has not fallen into the laziness that Christopher Walken has in the last ten years of his life, where he's now playing Christopher Walken. Well, he's parodying himself. Yeah. And he knows what he does. I can't believe Christopher Walken is too smart a guy yeah. Not to know what he's doing. I get the impression Christopher Walken, in his mind, has two careers. There's the really small indie movies that he does every couple of years that he mm. knows is for himself. And then there's the big screen movies where he's playing Christopher Walken. And that's usually when he comes out and he, he's actually full Christopher Walken all the time. I don't know about anybody else, yeah. but I'm willing to give him a pass. Because we've had, what, 40 years of so yeah. many good movies that he's given us. Where he doesn't have anything to prove to anybody anymore. Right. We know he can act. So if he wants to have a little bit of fun and parody him himself and played Christopher Walken. Who would you say he can't do that? Let's jump to Vampires. Okay, Vampires. I know that's one of your favorite movies. Well, first off, it's a James Woods film that could probably not have been done without James Woods. Just witness the fact that the sequels were not even released theatrically. How can you replace James Woods with John freaking Bon Jovi? Me a Molly Fogg and break already. Yeah. John, and, and mind you folks, I don't have anything against John Bon Jovi. Mm-hmm. I don't. I like his music. But you can't follow up. I do feel that Vampires is one of these movies where it was kind of like a perfect storm. Because this was the movie that John Carpenter did right after Escape from L.A. And this is probably his last great it was, yeah, movie, I would, I would say. say I would classify yeah. And he gave interviews at the time that after Escape from L.A., he realized something, that movie making wasn't fun for him anymore. Right. So he decided to go and do something down and dirty. And James Woods was looking for something down and dirty. And it all kind of worked together. And this is just, it's like the anti-Buffy almost. Right. These guys, it's a job to them. 
Yeah. It's not this kind of great curse. Yeah. Jack Crow is, hey, I'm being paid. These are blue-collar vampire yeah. killers, which would be a great title for a yeah. book, by the way. The blue-collar vampire killers. Mm-hmm. But yeah, these guys, they go down during the day. They punch the clock. Yeah. They go out. They kill a few vampires. They stake a couple of them. They hook them up to the truck. They drag them out yeah. in the sunlight. Oh, and I they, love that with the winch. I, yeah. yeah. That, that opening scene, because apparently Carpenter has said that he patterned this film after The Wild Bunch. Yeah, okay, that I can say. Yeah, it, right. It's the Wild Bunch as Vampire yeah. Hunters. That whole first attack on the, the mission at the very beginning of the film, mm-hmm. where we see how they work, where he, he's yeah. got the priest on site ready to do the yeah, he, Carpenter said he cast James Woods because, and I quote, I wanted somebody as our hero who is as savage as the vampires. James Woods is the type of guy that you could believe could chew the leg off a vampire. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. No doubt. This isn't like Buffy where we're expected to believe that this little slip of a girl yeah. can take down these vampires that have lived for thousands of years. And folks, I'm speaking as a devoted Buffy fan. I right. love Buffy. But I'm just saying right. that, yeah, when you look at James Woods taking down vampires, you say, well, yeah, okay, well, I can see that. Yeah. Okay, I gotta ask you, though. Who would win in a fight, Jack Crow or Blade? I'd have to give it to Blade, only for one reason, that he's got the half-vampire thing that's working for him. And he has that in his advantage. Both of them are killers, both of them are experienced, Yeah. so they're about even Mm -hmm. when it comes to that. Blade might have a little bit of edge in the weapons department because he's a little bit more versatile, and he's got more of a variety of weapons, but I think that Jack Crow can match him for skill. I think it'd be like watching a prison fight between somebody who's all muscle and one of those short, wiry guys who you know really is vicious because he had to fight his way all his life. Right, yeah. This would be a down and dirty fight. It wouldn't take long, but I would have to give the edge to Blade simply because of the enhanced strength thing. Mm -hmm. If Jack Crow didn't know, didn't research him, and didn't know that he was how vampire. Now, does he know he's how vampire? Well, this is Jack Crow. Well, Jack Crow yeah, done see, the research. See, this is what I'm saying. Now, if he knows he's not a vampire, now he's got the advantage because yeah. he's going to compensate for that. Listen, this is Jack Crow. He doesn't necessarily have to get in close. He can cap him from a mm-hmm. half mile away with a silver bullet. Yeah. So, yeah, that's very good. <laughs> nah, that's good thinking. That's a very interesting matchup. Yeah. It is. However way it went, the fight would be damn close. Yeah. Let me put it that way. Do we want to talk a bit about his first voice role? Oh, Hercules. Yeah. yeah. And this is during the period of time when Disney Animation was finding specific voice act and then building the villain around them. Yeah. And boy, does Hades look like a James Woods character. He does. Character. He does. This is a funny thing. The character, it looks like an animated James Wood. And of course, he's the king of the underworld. Matter of fact, the whole movie is a lot of fun. If you guys have never seen this one, I saw this movie and I don't know what I was expecting. I said, yeah, it's Disney. is going to be a kid. Because I took my nieces and nephews to see it. They wanted to see it. By the end of it, I enjoyed it more than they did. And a large part of it mm-hmm. was to James Wood doing the fast talk of James Wood things. And it's funny because apparently when the script was being written, Hades was supposed to talk in a very slow manner. But they re- once they cast James, they said, oh, fuck it. Let him do-. Yeah. He does a lot of ad-libbing apparently in the film. Yeah, that's what I heard. Most of his dialogue in there is ad-lib. And you can tell because he's coming up with that... Before you even know what he's done, he's talked to it and taken off your underwear. Right. Before you even know what's happening. It's just, <laughs> and he does that with everybody. And everybody's kind of looking at him kind of askance. Who is this guy? Where did he come from? It's not unlike the Robin Williams yeah. performance. In, yeah, well, exactly. Uh, Robin Williams' performance is supposedly like 80%. Right, right. This is the one it comes the closest to. Mm-hmm. If you folks remember his role as the genie in Aladdin, this is... 
kind of similar. And this was done at the time when a lot of actors were saying, I can really make a lot of money doing voiceovers. Yeah. This was made what? 90 what? 1997. 97, okay, yeah. So it was around that period where now Disney was coming out with all of these movies and they were getting really big name actors. And the actors were saying, hey, you know, they started calling up their agents and saying, hey, listen, Eddie Murphy got $5 million playing a donkey. How come right. you don't get me playing a donkey? So <laughs> This is in a period where we began to see that kind of weird transition where it became kind of cool and hip again to be a voice in an animated series. Yeah, and James Woods in this movie, he gives actual performance. Mm -hmm. It's not just the combination of the animation, of course, and his voice. It's a genuine performance. Right. It's not a stunt, which is what I liked about the movie. And the songs are great, too. I love that little Greek chorus that they had with the three soul yeah. singers like the Supremes. <laughs> <laughs> really, Danny DeVito, right. he's in this one. He does the little Saturday trains, our hero. Yeah, it's a good movie. And of course, as we've mentioned many times before, he become like a semi-regular on, on The Family Guy, where it's creepy how they get the animated James Woods to look like, so much yeah. like the real James. You look at me and say, damn, yeah, that's James Woods. Isn't Wood. it the same thing with the Adam West character they have on there? Because he's the mayor of Quahog he, he, He's whatever. the mayor of Quahog, and it's Adam West playing Adam West. Now let's take, because we're in there now, we might as well take a little more praise of Owlman. Okay, yeah. That is probably, I think, my favorite villain performance in any of the DC animated movies I've seen. The whole movie. I believe you lent me the movie. Yeah. Because you said, Derek, you gotta watch this, you gotta watch <laughs> this. And I said, yeah, yeah, okay. Halfway through this thing, I was sitting on the edge of my seat. Right after The New Frontier. Yeah. This is my favorite, matter of fact, this is my favorite DC animated thing. Mm -hmm. For those of you who are interested, my favorites are The New Frontier, right. this one, Crisis on Two Earths, yeah. All-Star Superman, and Batman Year One. Right. I haven't seen any of the more recent. They're doing another Superman one, of course. Oh, it's the Superman versus the Elite, which I hated that story. Yeah, the Elite. Yeah, I'm going to give that one a pass. I'm not going to... The I'm thing not about that story, one. which was, I think, in Action Comics 775 or something, was it was Joe Casey having a temper tantrum about Warren Ellis. Because the elite were very thinly disguised versions of the, oh, the authority. authority. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, And it was him pissed off and jealous that the authority was getting so much attention. There is something about James Woods' version. Mm -hmm. The way that he does the line delivery. Because he's in this relationship with Superwoman. Yeah. But he could yeah. less. He's just totally disinterested in the world. Well, this is a Batman that is totally disconnected completely from everything. Yeah. Our Batman, Bruce Wayne, he channeled his grief into mm -hmm. this outlet of this crime fighting thing. But Owl Man never channeled his thing into anything. Right. He's an emotional void. This is a guy that's so bored that and his he idea of blow of destroying all of reality seems like a good idea at the time. Yeah, just to give wow, it takes that for you to feel something? <laughs> mm -hmm. God, go, go we have therapists that will help you. But at the same time, it's also frightening that this guy would yeah. even contemplate such a thing. We're not talking about blowing up one world, which would be talking about destroying Sorry, the multiverse. And of course, there's that wonderful moment when they finally dispatch him, and he looks at that bomb just as he's about to be blown off the face of reality. Mm -hmm. eh. Yeah, he's a, eh, Okay. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> it's so great. One of the things I love about this particular animated feature is how well detailed, how well thought through the story is by Dwayne McDuffie. I'm not sure. I think this was released shortly after he died. No, the one that was released after he died was All-Star Superman. Okay, I, I stand correct. Yeah. Things like each one of the crime syndicate, Owlman and Superwoman, all of them belong to, have their own group of henchmen. 
Yeah. And each henchman group is related in some way to the DC counterpart of the mm. character. Because Superwoman is the analog to Wonder Woman. Right. She gets all the Teen Titans. All the Teen Titans, right, yeah. Owlman gets all the outsiders. Out the outsiders. We yeah. see them very briefly. They're not named, but if you're up on your DC lore, you can yeah. say, okay, yeah, I know who that is. You can figure out who everybody is. The evil Martian Manhunter, don't see it all. Mm. And he dies before the film starts. Is the old JLA Detroit character. The old JLA Detroit. We get to see Vibe. We don't get to see Vibe, but we get to see evil vibe. Yeah. I said, holy shit. Somebody actually thought about this. The only problem I have with this movie, yeah. and it's not even a problem, because it is brought up in the movie, is that, okay, we have the Lex Luthor mm. from that world. Yeah. Who's the hero in that world? He comes to mm-hmm. the Justice League and says, well, here's my world, here's the situation. Your evil counterparts have killed all the other superheroes, or they've enslaved them, right. and they've taken over. you got to come back and help me. And there is a brief discussion, but not long enough for me, where the morals of what they're doing is question. Well, that's another world. Right. Then who are we to go there and tell them how it's? And somebody says we're supposed to combat injustice where we find it. Yeah, but we didn't find it. Yeah, it, it, found it, us. it found us. And they're not coming over here messing mm-hmm. with us. Why should we go over there and mess with? They're absolutely right. right. So that when they go there, yeah, they are going in there imposing. They're basically Conan as terrorists. Yeah, they're imposing their sense of what yeah. they think is right and wrong on these people that would never bother them and never did nothing to them. I kind of like that aspect of it, too, because there's something that you don't usually get in an animated movie, mm. which, of course, is a testament to the talent of Dwayne McDuffie and wrote the story. Most... Animated wouldn't even gotten into that. Okay, these are the bad guys, these are the good guys. Let's fight. Yeah, and that's only one aspect of a movie that has a tremendous amount of story and characterization. Mm-hmm. My God, the Martian Manhunter has a love story. Oh, okay. Ro- of all people, Rose Wilson. <laughs> well, first off, the idea that Deathstroke the Terminator is the President of the United States. Well, that's mind-boggling enough. But yeah, Martian Manhunter, and it works. It works to the point that when... He leaves. It's, oh, man, dude. No, oh, man, stay. And, of course, there's that exchange. Come on. In our reality, she's probably a supervillain. <laughs> Which wasn't true at the time that the film was released, but mm. might have been true in terms of the context. Yeah. Because you get the impression that this story takes place earlier in the pre-Dick New continuity. Yeah, but it's a lot of fun. And if you haven't guessed yet, from this episode and past ones, it comes highly recommended by both yes. Tom and myself. Yes, yes, it does. So, to sum up, your final closing thoughts about James Woods. James Woods, even today, could probably kick your ass. Oh, I know and he don't you forget it. I know he could kick my ass. Without <laughs> Matter of fact, James Woods wouldn't kick my ass. I would just pull down my yes. pants and say, commence to kick it. Right. I wouldn't so, even put up a fight. That's one of the reasons why The Specialist pissed me. I mean, The Specialist is a pretty bad film to begin with. He's like an explosives expert, and he's mm-hmm. involved with Sharon Stone, and James Woods is the bad guy, and James Woods would kick Sylvester Stallone's ass, even back then, when that's he's probably, still pretty steroided up. See, James Woods wouldn't have even got into hand to hand with right. Sylvester Stallone. He would have used his charm and got close, and then he'd have shanked him in the kidney. Uh, yeah. <laughs> well, that's the thing. If I remember, it's been a long time since I saw the film. Mm-hmm. James Woods kind of like jumps into a building and it blows up. It's even a cowardly way out of it. Yeah. But still, it's like, I'm sorry, James Woods would. And you're right, because once again, we come back to the, uh, the analogy of him being the really sh- small, wiry guy in the prison. 
Right. He wouldn't confront you directly. Oh, the only time he would confront you is if it would allow him to get at an exposed part of your body. Yeah. he shiv you, and that's it. There you mm-hmm. go. But yeah, James would, just about anything he said, with the exception of the specialist, as Tom told you. But the movies that we've mentioned here, if you haven't seen them yet, Cop, Videodrome, right. Once Upon a Time in America, The Hard Way, if you want to see the comedic James Woods. That's you a know. weird film. Let's mm-hmm. take a few minutes on that one. That is a strange film because it, the story is... Michael J. Fox is an actor mm-hmm. who is starting a movie where he plays a New York City cop. And he is put on a ride-along with James, James Woods, Woods. Who is a real cop. Who is a real cop. James Woods is investigating a serial killer called The Party Crasher. The Party Crasher, yeah. Played by a favorite actor of ours, Stephen Lang. So I saw this in the theaters mm-hmm. in Flushing, Queens, when I was living in Flushing. I was okay with it while I was watching it, but the, the second I got out of the theater, mm-hmm. I started seeing more and more flaws in it. I'm walking home. By the time I get home, I'm like, oh, that wasn't that good at all. It wasn't that good. It's one of these films that has real contempt for New York City geography. For one thing. Okay. Where the car chase yeah. starts in Queens and ends up in yeah. Brooklyn. <laughs> well, okay, there's the one car chase that starts at City Hall. Mm-hmm. And you know it's City Hall because it's, they're standing at one point in front of the train station for the sixth train. Oh, and it says, yeah, yeah. City Hall. City Hall, yeah. They That's start it. in City Hall and somehow, in the space of about 10 minutes, mm-hmm. get to the Beacon Theater on 72nd Street and Broadway. Yeah, which anybody who lives yeah. in New York. Forget about it. You know that that's impossible. <laughs> I don't think the two elements mesh well. The whole happy, funny, look, I'm riding with Michael J. Fox, and Michael J. Fox is being annoying and prissy. and Yeah. And then you had the stuff with Annabella Sciorra, you know, oh, I want to make things right with my whoopee. And, mm-hmm. and then on top of that, you had a serial killer running around. And it was, it was a shame to see Stephen Lang. So wonderful, yeah. Amazing actor. He had no dialogue in the film, if you remember. It's been a while since I've seen it, yeah, yeah, but I believe you're right. You see him killing people, and you see him in his little loft in Times Square playing that weird video game. Just like a mess of so many different... I am glad to see Stephen Lang in recent years. He has been getting some notice. He was in Avatar. Right. Terra Nova. Terra Nova, which has been canceled. Well, well, it wasn't a very good show. It wasn't a good show. But we're going to get to that when we record the next episode. Yes, where you guys won't want to miss that one. This is the biggest effing load we've ever put on the autopsy table. Yeah. This is a steaming carcass. (laughs) We recommend, among the films that we talked about... Yeah. Well, I already said Cop. Once Upon a Time in America. Videodrome. Videodrome. John Carpenter's Vampires. Vampires. Bestseller, mm-hmm. Cat's Eye, Justice League Crisis on Turkey yeah. Earth. If you're feeling in a masochistic mood, Nixon. Nixon. Yeah. Which has Anthony Hopkins, of all people, yeah. playing Nixon. The Onion Field. The Onion Field. But we want to warn you, this is not the feel-good movie of the summer. No. The Onion Field is a brutal... It's, I would even go so far as to say it's one of those movies like The Bad Lieutenant. Yeah, yeah, Bad Lieutenant. Yeah. And like Henry Portrait of a Serial Killer, where I am so grateful I got a chance to see them, but I never want to see them ever again. Yeah, this is a movie, and this was based on a true story. Joseph right. Wamba, who was a Los Angeles police detective, I believe, he had, what, 30, 40 years yeah. in it, and he created The Blue Knight. Remember right, that one, yeah. that TV series? And he created some other, and he wrote The Choir Boys as a bunch of all other cop-related Stuff and this was based on the thing where two police officers, I think, mm-hmm. were taken out to an onion yes, field and, by, and they were executed. They right. weren't just killed; they were executed. 
So, yeah, this was... And they're played by, again, James Wood Wood. and Ted Ted Danson, of all people. Yeah. Talk about two careers having very divergent subjects. Yeah, yeah. It's a movie well worth seeing, but as Tom so perceptively pointed out, this is not a movie you should watch before going to bed. It will make you have trouble falling asleep. Yeah, I learned my lesson years ago when I watched Requiem for a Dream. Oh, yeah. And Alex Cook. Remember Alex Mm -hmm. Cook? Alex Cook told me, he said... Yo, man, don't watch before yeah. you go to bed. That's it. <laughs> Bullshit. I can take this. I yeah. can take this. I will put on that thing one o'clock in the morning. I didn't sleep the rest of that night. And the next night, I had trouble sleeping because I had dreams. And I've never seen that movie again. So now I recommend, I tell people, if I tell you don't watch it before you go to bed, don't watch right. it before you go to bed. So yeah, and of course, we also mentioned Hercules. Hercules, yes, it's a wonderful movie. You don't have to sit down with your kids and watch, mm-hmm. have an excuse. You can watch it for yourself. It's a nice little movie. Yeah. Now, it just occurred to me, before we move to the administrative that we place the people in the hall in the order they've been inducted, you know he's going to be macking on Catherine Bigelow. Oh, absolutely. Hey, baby. <laughs> he macked on her while we were talking. Yeah, right. <laughs> She's done. Totally. Yeah, it's, um, I guess it's time for the administrative. Okay, let's Whether dive you into love it. us, whether you hate us, whether you want to say that... We're full the of Shark shit. was actually one of the greatest TV shows ever made. So, yeah. <laughs> I'm not even going to dignify. There are a number of ways you can reach us. You can send us an email to betterinthedark at earth2.net, where you can also send your receipt for your $10 or more donation to the Suicide Prevention Lifeline at suicidepreventionlifeline.org between now and the end of April to get me to watch more Brian De Palma movies so I can suffer as part of the BITD challenge. And we all know how he likes to suffer. And also, folks, he just gave you the email address. Kind of use it because our email box has been looking a little yeah. lean lately. It's lonely. You can also go to our message board at betterinthedark.proboards.com, where, among other things, you can learn uh, about meetups that we're planning in the spring this year. Yeah, I put it up on the board. Yeah, I- folks, when are they going to hear this? They're going to hear It'll this be in early time. April. First week oh, of April. So, okay. Yeah. yeah, listen, folks. If anybody's interested in going to see the Avengers on opening day. And you're in the New York City and area. And if you're in the New York City area, of course. We don't want anybody to close enough. Or close enough that you can travel. Let us know. Maybe you can get something together. Right. And a bunch of us will go see it together. And then after that, go out to lunch and yeah, exactly. hang out. And also, whatever. we should mention that on... Uh, if I'm in a good mood, I may yeah. even invite you all back to my house. There you and go. <laughs> see where it all happens. Yeah. We're starting convention season. I want to I throw this idea out to you. I haven't been to a convention in a couple of years, but whenever I go to a convention, I always seek out artists, particularly the Golden Age artists, mm-hmm. and I walk up to them and I shake their hand, and I take a few minutes to just thank them. Oh, absolutely. Because if it wasn't for these people... We wouldn't have comics today. And the way they've been going lately, yeah. yeah, we better start thanking these guys because they're going. Especially when you've got people who are in their 80s and 90s. And the thing is, is that they're forgotten. You, yeah. you go into Artist Alley and you see everybody's around the flavor of the month. Everybody's around the, the three or four big flavor of the month people. And you have these poor guys who contributed greatly for no money at all. No money whatsoever. Like, like pittance mm-hmm. to the foundations upon which the modern comic industry is built. Mm-hmm. And they're being ignored. Just take five seconds to just say, hey, thanks a lot. Well, that's because most comic book fans have no respect for the history of the very thing that they claim that they love so much. Mm-hmm. But don't get me started. Let's continue with the administrative before I lose Okay. <laughs> Where was I going? Okay. You can also join our Facebook page since you just mentioned it. Mm-hmm. Just go to Facebook. 
type in Better in the Dark and ask us to add you, and we will add you, and then you can pull up a chair and get involved. This is our most active forum. Yeah, yeah, right now. Mark Bosquet is always posting stuff from his Atomic Anxiety. Great. You're always posting stuff from the Ferguson Theater. I'm always posting stuff from Damn Your Ears, Damn Your Eyes. And we just posted anything that comes in our head in the meantime. You get to read about Derek's favorite blog tag of mine. What's that? People, People get, get at. at. People yeah. get at. And yes, that's going to be in another episode. Yes. We're doing, if you're a Doctor Who fan, I've been doing some old Doctor episodes. Yeah, lately. yeah. But yes, that's always active. Mm-hmm. Both Derek and myself have our own Facebook pages. We're not hard to find. Right. If you're following me now, you'll be following the progress I make on the first book, which is almost done. And shortly, can you talk about... Because you're going to be having a blog soon that's going to be devoted to... The the Nocturne Travel Agency. It's not been set up yet, but once the first draft is done, that's going to be going up soon. So by the time they hear this, will it be up? I hope maybe. If okay. not, so real soon. And All right. Well, once I uh, know, oh, I gotta tell you something. We'll get back to the administrative. Okay. One of the saddest moments for me whenever I go to one of these conventions is ending up in celebrity corner. Okay. Because you get these people, and I have a feeling that Marilyn Gilotti is one of these people. I was about to say you have a feeling you're going to end up there one day. <laughs> no, not even that. It's it's one of these people where they've done one thing. Yeah, in their life. He's done that one thing in his life, has not been able to do anything else, and they're there in that little corner of the sales floor, trying desperately to get people to want to come and see them so they can sell them, because that's how they make their living, $20, $30. I know what you mean, because I went to a convention one time, and Margot Kidder was sitting right. at a, a table, and of course everybody was around right. her. And I went over, I got a kiss from Margot Kidder, which still mm-hmm. to this day, I didn't wash my face for about a month after Margot Kidder kissed me. But sitting next to her right. was the guy that played Nan, and nobody was over there. And he had... Jack O'Halloran. Yeah, and he was selling pictures of him. Yes. Like and I felt bad for the guy because everybody was over there. Because even though she hasn't done anything, she's still Margot Kidder. Right. Jack- well, okay. Let me tell you, and I went and I went over there and I shook his hand. I said, "Hey, how you doing?" And everything like that. Last time I went to Mike Carbo's comic book market, okay, this was about four or five, four years ago, I think. Mm -hmm. One of the feature people in Celebrity Row was Yancey Butler, who I knew. Oh yeah, you had a major crush on. Oh yeah, well back when she was doing Witchblade, doing Witchblade, yeah, on TNT. So one of the things I wanted to do was try to get an autograph or something for you, Mm -hmm. and then I saw her. Yeah. She looked so sad and so sympathetic, and I'm like, no, I'd rather Derek remembers her yeah. as she was and not as. But if I had been there myself, I probably would have went up there and yeah. given her like a hug and mm-hmm. said, I read about what had happened to her after yeah. her problems with her alcohol, and I just felt so sad for her because she was so alive and vivacious. Right. Vavoom. But yeah, yeah, but I know exactly what you mean. It is kind of sad when you see these people that is... Because this is the one thing that they had. Exactly. For one reason or another, they never had anything else. And it's just, it's so... It's depressing. Really, really sad that it just depresses me when I do that. We're going way afield, but where were we? We were talking about the meetups. Administrative, we did the Facebook. 
Right. Derek has a blog, which we've referenced earlier, right. called The Ferguson Theater. Plus, he has Blood and Bullets. Blood, blood and Ink. Blood, sorry, Blood and Ink. I don't know why I keep saying Blood and Bullets. No, that's a good one. I wish I had yeah. called it that at the beginning. And the Dylan blog. And so Dylan any blog. one of those, you can find those. Tom has Damn Your Ears, Damn, Damn Your Eyes, Ten Statements About. And your most recent one was? For Shark Night. For Shark Night, yes. yes. Which we are going to talk about. Because people get it. We're going to talk Catherine about. Catherine McFeener Underwear. Take your choice, folks. Which one do you want? <laughs> Both are validly interesting things. Yes, they are. Yes, they are. Oh, hell, it's the reason why I'm watching Smash. Not Ka- Well, not in the underwear part, but Catherine McPhee is one of the reasons I'm watching Smash. I haven't watched it yet. Well, we'll talk about that when we get to the autopsy. Yes, we are. We also have sing-along scriptures mm-hmm. the My Music blog. Yeah. And, of course, coming soon, as we mentioned, the Nocturne Travel Agency. Please visit pulpworkspress.com, mm-hmm. where Derek Ferguson's Pulp Arc winning uh, yeah. collection four, of novellas. Yeah. Four Bullets for Dylan, yeah. which won the Pulp Arc Award for Best Collection Anthology. Right. Is available right this second. And, and I will be in Arkansas to accept the award at Pulp Arc. Mm-hmm. I promise next year I definitely am going to come come high, hell or high water. Okay. And by that time I'll be able to drive. Well, what about flying? It's expensive, man. I'm flying this year. I'm not driving. I know you said you were flying this year. Because even if we go and we drive, yeah. we will still have to, because we're not going to drive there in one day. We have right. to get a hotel room and stay overnight. Right. So by the time you factor in all of that, the cost of flying is negligible. Okay, okay. Well, let me ask you. But it's what, too late, though. It's too late to be registering for this now. Well, what we're talking about next year. But let me ask you one question. Well, I know that there are a lot of people who would like to see me next year. Right. If not this year, definitely they'd want to see me next. Although, quite frankly, I'm sure like Barry Reese would like to finally see me face-to-face after us knowing each other for almost 30 years. Barry's not going this year. Oh, okay. And Barry is just a nicer guy in person. Mm-hmm. It was a pleasure to meet him. So, after knowing him one line I've for known, 15 yeah, years, for, yeah, you've known him longer than me. I've known him for close to 30 years yeah, now. Isn't that something? Yeah. And I've known him for about 15. So it was a pleasure to finally meet him. And his delightful son and wife. Yeah. Julian is a very wonderful... At the time that we're recording this, he's taking him to see John Carter. Ah. As a matter of fact, Barry had sent me a message mm-hmm. on Facebook, and he said, listen, uh, let me ask you a question. I said, sure. He said, do you think that the white apes might be a little bit too scary for him? Right. And I said, well, soften it up for him. Tell him, well, listen, we're going to go see this movie, and there might be some scary creatures in there. Right. I said, if he's anything like the five-year-olds that I know, that'll make him want to see yeah. me a little more. Yay, yay, white apes. Yeah. Yeah. We also want to invite people to visit Pro Se Press. Yeah. Where The Adventures of Fortune McCall continues to be sold. It's still going strong. Helmed by Tommy Hancock and mm. Barry Reese. Now, this is the, the Sovereign City universe, right? Yeah. Uh, matter of fact, okay, Barry Reese has already come out with The Adventures of Lazarus Gray. Yeah. And I've got The Adventures of Fortune McCall. And next month, I believe Tommy is going to have The Adventures of Doc Day. And then after that, sometime in the future to come, it's going to be opened up to other writers. Okay. So we'll be looking for you to contribute something to that. Let me ask you a question. Yeah. Because I'm watching this right up here. Turn around and look at that. Okay. Now, what's that from? That is from Bull Durham. Let me ask you a question. Why is the movie called Bull Durham? This is something I've never been able to find out. The only thing I can explain is, of course, this is the Durham Bulls. Because there's no character in there called Bull Durham. Well, the the name of the team is the Durham Bulls. So why don't you call it the Durham Bulls? Why is it Bull Durham? Because maybe he's referring to a state of mind as opposed to an actual physical person. 
Uh, hey, listen, it works for me. All I know is that yeah. I've just been trying to find out for years why is the movie mm-hmm. called Bull Durham, yeah. and nobody's ever been able to give me an answer. Also, we want people to go and visit our good friend, the captain, Ron Fortier. Salute! At Airship 27. And look at all the wonderful stuff, including, of course, the man called Mongrel, who is one of the four characters you'll meet in Mystery Men and Women, Volume 2. And hopefully, if you're running and get it done in time, you'll meet the Nightbreaker in In Volume volume 3. Yeah, Mongrel will be in Volume 3 as well. It'll be Part 2. Yes, and on top of that, of course, we've got the Shadow Legion New Roads to Hell, which is about 4,000 words away from being finished. Okay. I was working on it this morning. Brand new pulp superhero series. Well, we started out in 1941, but we're going to have a whole history of this whole parallel universe of superheroes. And And when can we expect to see that? Depends upon when I get the polish finished. Okay. Because I've got that. I've got the Domino Lady story I'm doing with Michelle, also for Ron. And I've got the Nightbreaker story. I already started working on it, but I'm going to get into high gear on that. Get into high gear, right. You just... Once New Roads to Hell is done. I also have a partial outline for the second book of the three books, the initial trilogy. Okay. And so everything is going to go well. Okay. We're going to see... You'll learn more about that when you go to the Nocturne Travel Agency. Everything's falling into place, And, of Tom. course, finally, alteredvisions.org. You're wrapping up your big space adventure. Yeah, finally. It's coming to a conclusion. The Cosmic Avengers are out there kicking ass, mm. finally, with the z the alien race that kidnapped the Infinity, which has their teammates on it as well as right. a bunch of Earth people that they're trying to get back to their home planet. So it's going to be a couple of issues of throwdown action until right. we get back to Earth and the Earthbound team that's yeah. there. So Who are right now guesting in, and we have to get that finished so we can get it for the next update. What's that? West Coast Avengers. Oh, yeah. Well, the big crossover is big still crossover, going on, yeah. which you're doing. You yeah. Know. So that's so you can go there and mm-hmm. experience that, and that's it. And if you missed us singing, you can go to Des's Dread Media and hear that. But that's neither here nor there. Hi, Des. So I guess that's it. Yeah, that's it for this episode of Better in the Dark with our look at the great, great man, James Woods. Yo, James, take your hand off of her butt, okay? You're being inducted On this podcast there is no such thing as decor We jumped that particular shot Long ago, years ago I think, I think, Actually I was going to say I think something happened when I first shot it Give me the dead baby Yeah, We jumped that particular shot long ago man So until next time This has been Derek Ferguson And this has been Thomas DJ And no matter what you do, no matter where you go No matter what sleazy cop Or vampire hunter you may come across Watch that James Woods movie Good night Good night God bless I came in through the kitchen window The hot night the window was open I had to hold up until 11 When the old man took his bath The bathroom was a natural place for an accident to happen You've been listening to Better in the Dark, featuring Thomas E.J. and Derek Ferguson. Special thanks go out to Mike and Paul of Chinstroker vs. Punter, Johnny Krug of Kruger Nation, Ian of Cinerama, Eric Froman, of course, all the lovely members of the Better in the Dark message board at betterinthedark.proboards.com. Better in the Dark may not know about the pit of despair that is Celebrity Corner, but it once woke up next to Yancey Butler, which, quite frankly, is something it doesn't wish to talk about. Send all comments, praise, hate mail, love letters, and pipe bombs to Better in the Dark at Earth2.net. That's Better in the Dark at Earth2.net. 
Please vote for us on Podcast Alley, and why not leave a review of us on iTunes? Hey, maybe you can even visit the Better in the Dark Central site at www.betterinthedarksite.com. And don't forget to check out all the amazing music available at www.beehyphen.com. Better in the Dark is a Conspiracy Productions presentation in association with the Earth2.net community of podcasts. All material copyright, Thomas E.J. and Derek Ferguson. Until next time, remember that when you're discussing who would win in a fight, Blade or Jack Crow, the loser, well, the loser is actually you. What if I find the tunnel? So what? What, do you think I left my name on it? I don't know. <laughs> Ooh. Queensky. Ooh. Now, what do you think the chances are of another queen? Right, champ. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Two shown, ten cards down, looks like two out of forty to me. percent Unless, of course... <laughs> Unless, of course, there's only one queen left because the other one is where you put it. <laughs>